Hi, everybody. Stuart Gandalf here with another podcast featuring absolutely one of my favorite guests and personal friend, Dr. Jim Merlino. He is Chief Clinical Transformation Officer with Cleveland Clinic, back at the clinic after uh, some excellent time with Press Ganey. Welcome, Jim, first of all. Thanks, Stuart. Always great to talk with you. In preparation for this meeting, we spent some time talking about, you know, kind of catching up, and the world is very different than the last time Jim and I spoke publicly. Last time we talked was pre-COVID, pre-Jim moving over to Cleveland Clinic. Um, things have changed quite a bit since then, obviously. And I think today we're going to talk about uh, a topic that I think is really, really important, which is getting the word out, um, you know, leveraging the pulpit of healthcare providers, right? As the most trusted people in America, you know, doctors, hospitals, health systems have a unique opportunity to educate the public. And I was talking offline with Jim prior to doing this, you know, the very, very early days of uh, the pandemic, um, some of our blog posts, you know, really were about this, you know, back when it was absolutely uncertain and the world was going crazy. Um, our firm went virtual about a week or two ahead of everybody else, right about the same time that Stanford went virtual before it became mandatory. Uh, I was telling Jim, we have some uh, friends that sent us, you know, what this pandemic is going to look like. So we went virtual, really mostly for public good at that stage, even though some of my employees thought I was crazy. <laughs> but, um, and we spent a lot of time writing about in our blogs of, you know, how you can as a provider, you know, be part of the solution, get the word out, you know, can you post on social media? Can you talk to your patients? Can you send emails? How can you be a voice? And that was before any of this sort of stuff has happened in the surroundings, but we just had a sense there would be a need for authoritative information to supplement what's happening in the more official channels. So anyway, Jim and I were talking about this and uh, in true fashion with Cleveland Clinic, with the sort of leadership role that the clinic takes in terms of public health, um, began an advisory service. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And Jim, I'd love to hear from you, you know, kind of how this all began, the mission. This is your your format. Let's just talk. Tell me about uh, the advisory service and maybe the history of it to start. Sure, Stuart. Well, again, it's really great to uh, you know, be doing a podcast with you again. And I really always enjoy our conversations uh, and the insights that, that you bring to the industry through your work as well. You know, it's interesting. Uh, healthcare obviously is on the front lines with the pandemic response and uh, taking care of uh, people who are affected by COVID. But we actually, I think, have a bigger responsibility, and that is to uh, help society uh, kind of reactivate and, and also function safely in the era of COVID because we clearly are in an environment now where COVID is with us. Whether you believe it or not, it's here. It's not going away uh, until there's a treatment or uh, an, an effective vaccine. It's just going to be part of what we do. I think one of the things that we've learned in healthcare, and it's not just true for Cleveland Clinic, it's true for healthcare across the world, is that we understand uh, how to keep people safe. And for the most part, I think healthcare has done that. And you see different statistics on healthcare worker infectivity, but there are a lot of organizations across the country uh, that have kept their workers safe. We've had over 1,100 caregivers infected with COVID. We're confident uh, because of the contact tracing that we've put in place that we can say we don't believe any of those caregivers receive COVID from taking care of a COVID positive patient. Uh, and uh, But that's not without effort. It's because of the safety measures that we've put in place, the teams of people uh, that we've had together since the beginning of this pandemic that have really studied these issues and, and, and really debated about what are the best things that we need to do, what are the safest things that we need to do. So 
with all of that in, in mind uh, and understanding that, uh, you know, the tsunami was coming towards us very quickly, uh, we did a lot of preparation. We were very fortunate in Northeast Ohio that the tsunami didn't hit us like it did in other parts of the country like New York or uh, Washington. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, we did see COVID. We, we did take care of a lot of patients. We're still taking care of a lot of patients, but we learned a lot. And as we saw that the tsunami wasn't going to hit us as hard uh, as uh, we thought it was going to, we were able to now take the information that we prepared for our organization and actually retune it or reformat it so that we could push it out to the public, to businesses, to churches, to educational institutions, so that others could use it. We started getting a lot of incoming early from different businesses and other organizations that needed help. Uh, and we wanted to be helpful. Cleveland Clinic has four cares, care for community, care for organization, care for caregivers, and care for patients. And we very much see this as part of our responsibility uh, to help uh, care for the community. And, and I'll, I'll just add one more thing. And that is that um, it's interesting that if you think about managing diseases, right? For most diseases, we've had decades to study them. For COVID, everything we know about this disease has really come in the last six months or less. Uh, and we're learning new things every day. We're clarifying things every day. Uh, and so the most important resource that we've been able to provide to partners outside of healthcare is really interpreting what's going on and translating that information to what they do every day so they can keep their employees, their customers safe. Um, it's it's been It's been interesting work. It's been um, it's been fascinating to, to be a part of it. It's been an honor to be a part of it, to help others. Uh, and it's, um, uh, we think it's really meaningful and impactful. The Cleveland Clinic, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the idea of being in your community, a, a thought leader, a healthcare thought leader. And Cleveland Clinic clearly does that, not just in its community, but in its, uh, in the, from a world scope. Is that part of the clinic's DNA? How has that evolved? This idea of we're trying to be something more than just you know, the provider, we want to, you know, really sort of be a thought leader. Is that, how did that evolve and how does that sustain? The Cleveland Clinic has always uh, prided itself on being an organization that's innovative and uh, trying to do things that, that benefit others. And that's just part of our DNA. We're actually uh, coming up on a hundred year anniversary this year. Um, it's kind of interesting. The last pandemic was a hundred years ago. We're a hundred years old. Um, but it is really in our DNA, and it's also part of uh, the focus of our CEO, Dr. Tom Maholovic. Uh, he believes that uh, we should be doing things as much as we can to really push hard and trying to figure out ways to evolve healthcare. And uh, I think the work we're doing uh, with COVID response uh, is part of that. And again, we don't we don't have the license on best practices. I think one of the benefits of COVID, if there's any benefit because there aren't many for, for sure, is how people have worked together across the country, other healthcare organizations, uh, other healthcare organizations across the world have come together to share information. You know, and, and what we've been you know, able to do is really just help package that so that we can help others uh, understand what to do and be safe. It is interesting, one, one thing about the Cleveland Clinic, one of the things I think that makes the Cleveland Clinic unique, there's, there's a lot, I'm certainly biased, is that we have a network of, of, of hospitals and healthcare institutions across the world. And what was striking about COVID, we, we, we were meeting every day uh, during the heart of the pandemic, we we're meeting twice a day and all of our sites were dialed in. Um, 
it was the ability to learn from each other. So a truly integrated network where you're getting information from Abu Dhabi, you're getting information from London, from Florida, from Las Vegas, from Toronto, and all of that's feeding into your decision-making. Uh, and what was most fascinating is everybody was experiencing this a little differently. Uh, so for instance, our operations overseas uh, was able to give us some early warning into some of the things that they were seeing and also how they were responding to it. And that directly impacted uh, our responses in, in the states, both in Cleveland and Florida. So uh, it was um, it was a very interesting uh, time to be a part of such an important integrated kind of delivery system. Jim, that totally makes sense. I feel like uh, you know, obviously Cleveland Clinic has some amazing resources with multiple locations and, you know, hundred year history and um, incredible uh, medical team and uh, support teams at the level of maybe a community hospital or a group practice or uh, any level, let's maybe take a step, just one step down, you know, a single hospital or a couple of hospitals um, or, you know, just a large group. How, what would be important if they too feel like, okay, we're not Cleveland Clinic, we can't be, but you know, we wanna be that kind of a thought leader here in Topeka or Poughkeepsie or wherever. Um, you know, what kind of recommendation, before we get into the specifics of your advisory service, but like, what, what have you learned they can use to, what would be the couple things that you'd really want to have in place to, so that, yes, raise your hand, be a colleague with us, help us get the word out. What kinds of things do you think would be important for that? You know, I, I don't think you have to be Cleveland Clinic to be helpful to your community. I think if you likely look across uh, the nation and, and talk to healthcare providers and other systems, I certainly talk to many of my colleagues around the country. Uh, you know, for the most part, we're all coordinating, we're all driving the same things. Uh, you know, when we think about changing a policy, for instance, around visitors, you know, we reach out to our colleagues, my friends, I reach out to, my colleagues reach out to their friends. We really are trying to bring information together. And I, I think that's probably true for, for a lot of providers. And what I would say to uh, smaller organizations, regardless of where they are and whether they're a hospital or a practice or you know, a couple doc or provider group that's providing care, uh, you know what to do. You're, you've, you likely, you've been delivering care in COVID and um, the, the, the information that you have available to you, how you think about this, the clarity that you bring to that process uh, will be helpful to partners that are in your community because this is complicated and um, it really requires a thoughtful approach uh, to keep people safe, but it's an approach we know we can do. And I think that what I would say to anybody that's listening uh, that may be practicing in a smaller environment is, is, is talk to people in your community and ask them how you can be helpful. How, ask them how you can translate, you know, what's going on around COVID to impact how they can keep themselves, their 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 employees, and their customers safe. Uh, they need us. They don't just need us to take care of sick people. They need us to provide guidance. And this is such an opportunity for healthcare in the United States and across the world to really step into a role to do much more. Uh, than we've probably done in the past relative to things going on in the community. You mentioned your CEO, and that's so often the case. The idea of, because I could see how, you know, you're a busy hospital, um, you know, located in whichever town you are, and you may not have the resources, but I think it's more than just resources. It's more your vision of how you fit in the community, right? Because it'd be really easy, and it's certainly forgivable. We're just treating patients here. We don't have time to do this high and visionary stuff. Um, we just have to take care of patients, and I totally get it. So, 
Um, but I guess it comes down to maybe the vision of the CEO and the leadership of you know, what role, maybe a larger role in just treating patients. Does that make sense, Jim? Absolutely. And it also comes to getting back to the role of your hospital. I mean, if you think about the history of healthcare in the United States and how it evolved, I mean, a big part of it was, you know, community centric. Most hospitals are community hospitals and they were formed by, uh, you know, municipalities coming together, putting money in to build a hospital uh, to take care of people in the community. I mean, so it really is getting back to uh, the roots. I remember one of my first roles in healthcare, I was a board member of a community house in a community hospital in the city that I grew up in, actually where I was born. Uh, and it was a hospital that was uh, built uh, in uh, in early 60s by seven communities coming together. One donated the land, everybody threw in some money, and you know, before you know it, you had a, you had a hospital. Um, and today that's part of a, a big healthcare system in Cleveland. It's doing, it, it's doing amazing stuff. But that is what, that's what we're about in healthcare, right? It's about taking care of our neighbors, you know, caring for the sick, but also providing information, uh, information to the community on how to stay healthy, which, which is just, when you think about it, I mean, that's noble. You know, we've talked about it in some of the other webinars and podcasts I've been doing. If you haven't, first of all, it's for the good, right? To get the word out, but also that's the primary reason. You know, we're in this for healthcare. We're in this to serve our community. But from a business standpoint, too, it's to take the leadership because if there's a void in the, in the marketplace um, to be a positive force, we're not doing it for that, but that's a good thing, too. To, uh, you know, we, we want to be more than just that big building that people fear <laughs> or, you know, may have had, you know, everybody has their own relationship with the community hospital, right? They've typically been part of the community for years. Um, but to be that kind of thought leader, I think, is important. And all the things we've talked about in the past, like, you know, and I'm going to dive into this advisory service in a moment here, but, you know, the social media, the emails, the talking to patients, the safety videos, showing them how you care, showing them how the heroes, the everyday stories, showing them how they're going to be safe are all important. So from there, I'd love to segue to more about the advisory service. Tell me about, you know, how do you deliver it? What is it? How much does it cost? If anything, you know, how do we deliver it? You know, what the purpose is, all that. I'm fascinated. Thanks for asking. Uh, we are too, as in terms of how quickly it's really grown into something. And first of all, it's free. Uh, so that uh, makes it easy for people to consider it. <laughs> exactly. If our listeners need to write this down, they can just write this down. Free is good. So yeah, <laughs> free is good. Well, sometimes free is not good. You always have to, you know, you always wonder what the intent is. There's something behind the curtain, but uh, no, this is free. And uh, you know, it's look, it, it hasn't cost us much um, because we've really just taken what we do every day for our caregivers and, and, and repackaged it. So it's a little easier to understand for people who are not in medicine to understand. Um, so we have a website uh, that on that website, we have uh, multiple uh, industry playbooks that we've assembled that kind of break down in simple terms, how to think about um, keeping people safe. So there's one for restaurants, for instance, manufacturing office environment. Uh, they're all on the website. They're all free. They're all downloadable. They're all easy to read. They all have a basic template that talks about the basic COVID and safety, and then a back portion that deals with the specific environment. They're not that long. Uh, we, we built a playbook around how to better communicate with people, your employees, customers during this time, how to communicate with empathy, because certainly healthcare workers aren't the only ones that are being stressed. Everybody's being stressed on something. So, you know, we thought that would be important. Uh, we do uh, weekly webinars with uh, uh, experts, so infectious disease, epidemiology, testing, uh, HR, 
to you know provide insight to help you know, employers, organizations you know keep their employees uh, mentally uh, fit and uh, exercising their minds and, and healthy at home. Uh, we have a, a long running list of frequently asked questions that updated as new information becomes available. And again, translated into simple terms: What do you do if somebody in your office tests positive for COVID? What do you do if somebody has symptoms? What do you do if you know, if somebody has a family member, what do you do if somebody gets exposed? I mean, again, it's just breaking down all the things that that people worry about. And I think that, and in, in, in all of that's on the website, which I'll share with you. It's, it's clevelandclinic.org forward slash COVID-19 at work, clevelandclinic.org forward slash Cleveland Clinic at work. Um, and what's interesting about the material and the reaction to it, as I said earlier, is that it's, it's been a service because people just want to know what is going on, what the information they need to be concerned about really is cutting through the media, the conflicting uh, you know, news reports, the, the things they read, and then, and then translating it into what to do. Uh, and, um, and, and that's been very rewarding because I think that's the clarity that we've been able to bring. And frankly, Stuart, as you would suspect, in some cases, we just don't know and we say it. Uh, but but everything is guided by our CDC guidance, what the scientific evidence is demonstrating. And then if, if there's no kind of gold standard to go to, it's the best clinical judgment based on a pool of experts. I'll give you one example that's very public, which is our relationship with United Airlines. So uh, Cleveland Clinic's had a long relationship with United and uh, uh, it's been our corporate partner. And during the, the worst part of the pandemic, the darkest days of the pandemic, when when New York City was being clobbered, uh, we sent a team of physicians and nurses uh, to, to, to help out. And um, and United was kind enough to fly them there and fly them back. And uh, we got into a discussion about, uh, you know, what they needed and because they were asking, you know, we're trying to figure out how to keep people safe while flying, how to keep our people safe. Would you be able to provide some input to us? And, and we said, absolutely, you know, we're here. Let's talk about it. And so... Um, and again, sharing with permission, and we started going through the material. They were very sophisticated. I mean, as you would expect, it's a big company, the airlines. When it comes to safety, they all talk to each other. They think about this all the time. They're very sophisticated. They had a lot of great material, and and we were we provided input based on what we kind of saw as the science around what they were doing. Uh, they they adapted some things that. Um, they were that we suggested that they didn't think about. They, they changed some things that they probably didn't need to do, um, but that I think has uh, has probably made flying safer. And what's interesting about flying right now is so certainly airline travel is significantly decreased, and uh, but but planes never stop flying, and they didn't put in the safety precautions. And yet we don't yet think we have a confirmed case. And there may be one we don't know of, but. We haven't traced a case of COVID through airline transmissions probably coming as community spread increases um, and flying increases. But, you know, I think right now we feel comfortable that we haven't seen it. Um, but the interesting thing is that relative to United is they were the first airline to mandate masks. And that was one piece of advice that we had given them. And, and, and they were very, very aggressive about it. They said, okay, if you tell us that that's important, we will do it and we will enforce it. And as you know, now all the airlines are doing it. So um, I, I think that's a good partnership because the last thing I would say 
and then I'll shut up, is that uh, it's not just on the it's not just what the businesses or the hospitals uh, need to be doing to keep us safe. It, this is a this is a social contract, right? We we have to be doing things to keep ourselves safe, right? We we if we go onto an airplane, we should need to wear a mask. We can't. We shouldn't refuse to do that. We shouldn't protest like we don't have to do that. No, you need to do that. That's your responsibility. You know, when you when you go to an environment where you're working, like a hospital, um, where you know we know we can keep you safe. When you go home, you have to think about how to continue to keep you safe. I have a colleague, Dr. Steve Gordon. He's our chair of infectious disease. He's internationally renowned. He says, "Listen, COVID gets in healthcare for healthcare workers. COVID gets in through the back door, which is they come to work." They have all the precautions. They're safe. They go home. They do something they shouldn't have done. They drop their guard. They get infected. That's the back door. And that's the thing we have to close by being very mindful. We all have a role. You know, COVID doesn't discriminate. And everybody in the world right now, everyone in, think about that, right? Everyone in the world is susceptible to it. So we all have a responsibility in this. We're all in it together. It's fascinating when I think about that. And it's interesting too, because the idea of airplanes, like, I didn't know that. I didn't know there's no documented cases for airlines uh, having COVID. So there's so much fear out there, misinformation. And what I really like about the idea that you guys are doing this is beyond it's helping make us all safer, but curating it, helping people understand what's real, what's not. How do you do that? Is there any secret to that? Because that's very, just that one little anecdote I think is really important. We have a big team and, um, and uh, you know, we talk about things. And so I'll give you an example. Uh, well, during the, uh, the heart of the pandemic, one of the biggest concerns, well, during the start of the pandemic, we're kind of in the heart of the pandemic. There's a big concern about PPE, personal protective equipment. One of the top concerns was, you know, we're going to run out, right? You know, this tsunami's coming, we're going to run out. And what are we going to do? But yet you can't ration it because you can't cut corners. You can't say to people, you don't need it there or you know, don't use it this way. I mean, you just it wasn't an option. Uh, so we had a team of people of about 10 people, probably a little more, that really were meeting every day to talk about how do you how do you manage PPE, right? What's the best way to do it? How do you account for supply chain issues? How do you model out how much you have and what's your run rate on PPE? Uh, but it's a statement of how experts come together to really tackle the smallest of problems that are really huge problems. Uh, and, but that's our that's been our approach uh, for for everything is we've had teams of professionals that are really experts in the space that have that have worked on these issues. Is my dog barking? That's part of COVID. It's perfectly okay to have dogs barking. <laughs> <laughs> my. My Labradoodle, Einstein, my Labradoodle. <laughs> oh my gosh, Jim, when we get offline, I'll put my camera on. You can see my dog. I have a Labradoodle too. He's this big. He's enormous. <laughs> oh, I have a miniature. Oh yeah, we got to do it. <laughs> uh, that's part of COVID. We get a pass. We can talk about our Labradoodle on a podcast. We have a pass. <laughs> Going back to the curation in United and that, again, thought leadership. I fly on a different airline. I have about 3 million miles. As you know, I travel a lot as you do too. And, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, there was news reports about them being very spotty with requiring masks. And they lost me for a long time because I'm not getting on a plane if this is going to become a political statement with the person sitting next to me. <laughs> I want to be safe. And that whole idea of we're all responsible, I think, is really important. 
Um, and that's great that you guys are doing that. I think also I want to ask about this. You mentioned restaurants, and I don't know if you guys do bars, but even offices. So this is very real to me today. So literally last night, you know, I mentioned we went virtual early, and I've just been very conservative about this. I feel like, and people who know me know, it's, I'm not doing this from a fear standpoint. I'm doing it from a public health standpoint. So we shut down early, not because I was, you know, paranoid about getting COVID, but more, you don't know who you're impacting, right? And, you know, I have a bunch of uh, team and, uh, and it turned out actually, we could have had a, a near miss with COVID had we stayed open very much longer, which I won't go into. What kind of response have you gotten? Because I know from our standpoint, that's gonna be fantastically helpful to have an authority because again, we're not experts at this. I mean, yeah, I market healthcare, it doesn't mean I'm a doctor. It doesn't mean I have any expertise in COVID. I mean, I read a lot, but I don't feel comfortable with my employees' safety and their relative safety by making these decisions. So by guiding, uh, having a sense of trusted authority to go to makes me feel a whole lot better. I don't know if you have anything to add to that, but and it's certainly kind of what kind of reaction have you gotten from doing this? A good reaction. I think, uh, you know, one of the biggest concerns of patients is uh, coming back to healthcare for, uh, you know, elective procedures uh, or non-urgent procedures is, you know, will they be safe? And the answer is yes, they will be. And I think that that's the same thing that employees want to know coming back to work is, or staying working. Will they be safe? And the answer is yes, you will. However, and it's a, it's a, but, and that is you have to, you have to follow the rules. You have to be thoughtful, right? If, uh, if, when your employer executes on a mask policy, you should follow the rules and wear the mask. When you have the ability to sanitize your hands, you should, should sanitize your hands. Look, the way we talk about these protections, these layers of protection is that there's something called the Swiss cheese model. In, in safety science for the military, for the airlines or healthcare, we, we assume that events are trying to hurt people and we enact barriers. And each barrier is like a piece of Swiss cheese. It blocks some things but it has holes and it lets some things through. But the more pieces of Swiss cheese, the more barriers you line up, the better protective screen you can build to prevent those things from hurting people. And so when we think about precautions that employers put together, masking, social distancing, hand washing, disinfecting commonly touched surfaces, um, education about how to keep your safe, yourself safe at home, None of those are perfect. Some are better than others, but collectively, they create a pretty strong barrier. And again, going back to healthcare experience, uh, we know that we can keep people safe if they follow the rules and they have to be mindful about it. You know, again, I, I think the message is that if we do the right thing and we execute on what we know works, we can keep people safe. And that should be the message. Um, but again, part of that message needs to be that you have responsibility as well. So when you leave the workplace, Right, you want to be concerned about what you're doing, who you're interacting with, how you're behaving, because you want to keep yourself safe at home as equally as much as you want to keep yourself safe at work. My wife went through a procedure right when things started to open up again, and I told her, "Hey, this is a window. It's probably going to get bad again. <laughs> Pretty quickly, jump on this." So she got her elective procedure done whenever that was, and uh, so she went through it, and it was amazing. They really had thought it through the whole from the start to finish, how they greeted her in the parking lot, you know, how they did all the way through. And then my wife said, but the one thing is this one nurse, you know, looked at her and said, this mask, this is stupid. We don't really need this. And so that one, um, and fortunately she kept her mask on, but you know, obviously they didn't have total buy-in at an individual level. And that's really what this requires is a bunch of individuals doing stuff right. And even if, maybe I would just argue, okay, you don't believe it, but just suspend disbelief for me, would you please? Because at the end of the day, that's what we need. 
And I think the other point that you bring up is the importance of responsibility because, okay, great. You know, um, this is so insightful to me, the idea of, okay, we have all this PPE. Who thought that, you know, your most dangerous um, experiences are not at the hospital. It's when you go home, <laughs> if you're not exactly. being careful. That, is that what you're saying essentially? That the most dangerous part of your day, if you're at a treating COVID patients is if you're going home and being irresponsible? Well, I think the, the biggest opening for risk is is that, I wouldn't say it's the most dangerous. I mean, if you're an ICU physician or nurse taking care of COVID positive patients, you know, that's that's dangerous work. And But I, I think if you are, if, if you're following the precautions and you're using them, you can keep yourself safe. So you have to be very mindful about that. I mean, it's, it's no different than any other uh, environment where, you know, the risk of getting hurt is real if you're not following safety precautions. But the, the need to be paying attention to safety doesn't stop when you leave. You don't, you don't need to wear an N95 mask and gown at home, but you do need to be thinking about, you know, potential exposure opportunities, who you're communicating with, making sure you're avoiding large groups, you know, uh, quarantining yourself if you're exposed to somebody. So uh, that, that continuum of safety really stretches everywhere, not just where you're, where you're working, regardless of, you know, what you do for a living. As we sort of come to the home stretch here, I'd love to get any final comments you have, but I guess, and maybe starting with that would be to uh, give you a place to start is, you know, what is the advice you would give to a pastor of a church or the owner of a bar or you know, an office, and they all will say to you with exasperation, Dr. Molino, I'm a pastor. I don't know anything about this stuff. What would you tell them? You know, obviously go to your site, but like, what are, what's maybe the philosophy here? I, I think the philosophy is to, um, is to be uh, cautiously optimistic. And number one, we will get through this. It's not going to be without cost and it's not going to be easy, but we will get through this. And I think it's really important that uh, as, as my boss, Tom, Dr. Tom Maholovic says, you you know, you have to keep perspective because we will get through this. The second thing I would say is to educate yourself and learn as much as you can. Pay attention to sites that are reputable. Don't don't make your decisions based on, you know, what you're you're hearing or uh, what you're reading on news outlets. Pay attention to uh, medical sites uh, and use that as your guidance. Um, but be uh, and, and stay up to date because the information changes. I mean, we've evolved a lot of our thinking on COVID. You know, when, when, the, when the pandemic first started here in the United States, you know, my wife and I were like, you know, wiping down our groceries. Um, you don't need to do that. Um, so, you know, pay attention to what's changes, to what's changing, use common sense um, and, and be diligent about the procedures. Uh, you know, a mask needs to cover your nose and mouth. It can't just cover your mouth. Uh, It can't be worn at your neck. Um, It it has to be worn the right way. You have to have precautions in place, or I'm sorry, protocols in place to think about what you do if somebody gets COVID in the workplace. Don't wait for it to happen, plan ahead. So uh, those are the things that I I would tell businesses. Those are the things that I tell businesses. You know, there's been times where uh, I've been in situations here in California, which at the beginning was in the leadership position, now not so much, right? Where uh, nobody's wearing a mask and it's even me knowing what I know, there's that social pressure to you know, not wear a mask and I wear it anyway. And so I think that's important to recognize that there will be times that are probably challenging and do what you know, the experts tell you, not just because everybody else is not wearing, it does not mean, well, they're doing it. 
it's not safe. Um, that's right. Because that's really what I think happens, right? They just said, well, nobody's doing it. I guess it's okay. It's a sunny day and nobody's sick. And on the other hand, um, you know, to not sort of freak out and not be, you know, paralyzed because we have to go through life. And it sounds like, uh, which is very heartening to hear the optimism in there that, you know, there are ways to get through this. And if we're following the basics, and I love, again, the cheese, the Swiss cheese model, because that's where I think maybe my last comment, and then if you have anything else you can add up is, perfection is the enemy of good, right? So in this case, if you're thinking it's just overwhelming, like if I want to be 100% safe, you know, I'd never, I'd be lying in the sun by myself with an N95 mask on, <laughs> on an island, right? Um, with a, with the wind blowing at hundred miles an hour. It's like, well, so then if you're paralyzed and you're afraid to do anything, but maybe, you know, the odds are, and you, maybe you can tell me this clinically, all right, if you're having dinner outside, you're six feet away or 10 feet away, you know, it becomes like you overreact and just don't have life and it becomes undoable. Do you have any comments on that? Because it feels like that's where people get into trouble. They either, well, this is just too hard and they do nothing or there's, they end up with mental health issues because they're trying to do absolute perfection, which is maybe not as necessary. Any comments? Yeah, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, it's like people who have... Um, obsessive compulsive disorder people who suffer from that you know they they have to do everything specifically sometimes over and over again um that's not what this is about this is about really just understanding what are the the few things that are that are capable of keeping you safe when they're done together and and just being vigilant about it you know you you can go to a restaurant that's appropriately set up for social distancing where people are wearing masks you can sit at the table with your spouse and take your masks off if the servers are masked you know, those things uh, are safe. I've done it. I've flown. My wife and I flew to Florida the first two weeks of July. We wore our masks. Everybody on the plane had a mask on. We went out to eat, but we went out to eat in restaurants that we knew were following the precautions. Um, and we were very, very careful about observing our environment because we weren't going to walk into a situation that would put us at risk. Uh, but the point is you, you can do things, right? You, you don't have to live in a bubble. Um, you just have to be vigilant. And I would add, my, my, one of my closing comments would be, the biggest thing we worry about in healthcare with any safety uh, precaution or process is, is fatigue. People forgetting it or, they get it or people getting comfortable with it. We have to be mindful. We have to stay vigilant because that's how we'll keep ourselves safe. So we can't, we can't relax our guard, uh, so to speak, as we're continuing to live with this pandemic. Well, that totally makes sense. And um, for obviously the vast majority of our audience here is in healthcare. They live this every day. And hopefully some of those insights, you know, will help you communicate with your patients or, you know, your constituents and your employees too, right? There's a, uh, we haven't talked about this and um, maybe just a second before we close here, you know, your own employees at the hospital, they're not, they're still people too, right? And there uh, probably is still some fear there. So any comments to the providers that are listening here of, you know, uh, one final comments of how to get the word out to employees or to your patients? Well, to the providers, thank you, because I know that everyone in the provider space is working very hard to do the right thing, to keep themselves safe, to take care of patients, and it's, and it's hard. Uh, so, so thank you. Again, I think it just comes back to emphasizing safety. We have to keep talking about it. Uh, we have to remind people about it. Uh, we have to reinforce it. Uh, that's, that's the message. Very good. Jim, as always, it's been fun and fantastic talking to you, insightful, love your thought leadership, love what you and your team are doing. Thank you. 
My pleasure. Thank you, Stuart. It's always great to talk with you about these issues.